Blog Talk Radio. You know, it's yeah. I don't sleep all day. I know it seems like I sleep all day and I'm up all night, but I don't sleep all day and I am not up all night. Welcome to the broadcast, and my name is Willie Lawson, and it is a special, special program this afternoon. We're going to have my friend Kevin McGarry on uh, the program, and um, Kevin is going to uh, talk to us about the Frederick Douglass Foundation. I I found out about the Frederick Douglass uh, Republican. Um, group a long time ago, an, a, a number a number of years ago, uh, with my friend uh, and my name escaped me. Uh, yeah, I'll think about it in a second uh, because I'm old and name escaped me. But it's interesting that um, I'm hearing about it again because Frederick Douglass seems to be the best way, really, the absolute best way to inner, um, you know, would get into a discussion with the African-American community about things that concern the African-American community uh, and not be, um, I'm going to say this word, this word is kind of a weird word, Republican-y or what I actually call bumper sticker Republicans. They have all the ready phrases that's that that's not who Frederick Douglass was. And in most people, I tell you what, once they know who Frederick Douglass was and what Frederick Frederick Douglass was all about, then they are a lot more likely to sort of gloss themselves as Frederick Frederick Douglass Republicans as opposed to the Republicans that we might see or the caricatures of Republicans that we might see on television. Um, and hear about it in the news on CNN and MSNBC and Fox News and the like. So um, it's a it's a tremendous tremendous way to to, to interact with the African American community, especially, uh, but not entirely. Um, a lot of the, a lot of people who aren't black um, identify themselves as Frederick Douglass, Frederick Douglass Republicans. So now you're going to ask, well, what's that all about? Well, that's why you have that's why I have a guest. That's why my friend Kevin is coming on. Um, Kevin. I first saw Kevin on Facebook. You feel me? On Facebook a while ago, and um, and I saw that he was um, he was killing it. He was out there doing great stuff uh, and saying great things. And um, and then we, like things go, uh, we kind of lost touch. And then, strangely enough, I met him in California this past year. So uh, it's, it's it's really exciting um, to hear from him again. And I just knew. That I, what I hadn't done, I needed to get done. I needed to have him on the program to talk about Frederick Douglass and the Frederick, the Frederick Douglass Foundation, what it's about, where it came from, his his interaction with it, and what it's doing today. Now, what we're going to do is take a little break, just a little break, the ring the register, and we'll be back with um, Kevin McGarry of the Frederick Douglass Foundation. Thank you so much. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, this is Willie Lawson. You know, with so much content whizzing around out there, there's only one storytelling platform that helps you keep calm and stay informed and inspired. It's Flipboard. Yeah, Flipboard curates the world story so you can be smarter in your work, life, and play. Choose from thousands of topics to personalize Flipboard and get the latest stories from the best publishers and experts delivered to you 24-7. When you see stories that you want to save or share, just tap the plus button 
and add them to your private or public collections. It's that simple. It's used by millions of people every day. Flipboard is how people move themselves and the world forward. So get started now at Flipboard.com. That's Flipboard.com. Are you looking for a reliable transportation, but you don't have a bunch of money? Are you wary of used car types? And you should be. You just need a car you can afford and a dealer you can trust. Great news. Good Guy Cars is here. John Desbrow is something you don't find every day. An honest used car dealer. Good Guy Cars is at 8412 Industrial Boulevard in Tampa, Florida. The phone number is 813-999-9992. That's 813-999-9992. The web address is www.goodguycars.com. All right, we're back. We're back. Thank you ever so much for spending time with us today because, like I said all the time, you know, the most valuable thing that you have is your time, and where you spend is very important. That's why I'm humbled. Um, it is uh, great. My friend Kevin is already on the line. He's already called in. Man, this dude is, like, on point all the time. This is what's, this is what's really going to be cool. So you guys are really, really in for a treat today, and you're going to want to share this program with where pretty much everybody that you know, all your friends and all your enemies and all your frenemies, uh, all your Republican friends, your Democrat friends, your progressive and conservative friends um, or acquaintances, because this is something unfortunate that a lot of people have not heard about. So I'm going to bring him on right now. If I press the button, um, uh, Kevin, good afternoon or good morning, yes. depending on where you happen to be in the country. <laughs> yes, sir, Mr. Willie. How are you? I'm not bad for an older fella. I'm not. I'm not. I've been. I've been much worse. So I. I am thankful. I'm grateful. Um, I, well, I it's am. an honor and a pleasure for me to be here with you. Uh, yeah, I don't think your introduction was uh, very generous and gracious, and uh, yeah, thank you for the true. kind words. It's I hope I can true. live up to at least a, a, a partial of what you of the can good live up to. You've the, already said about you can me. live up to the truth, Kevin. <laughs> Come on now. Uh, and I don't think I've had you here before, which is which is really something that where I've failed, and and for, and for that I apologize. Well, I um, mean, you know, we're 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 living in uh, in an America that's really tugging at uh, all of us uh, collectively, at and and tugging us in different directions at the same time, while we're trying to live and prosper at the same time. So. Uh, it's fine. Uh, we couldn't make it work, but uh, I'm glad to be here today, and I'm uh, I'm, I'm just honored uh, to be a guest of yours on your show. Well, thank you so much. And, and you're right, because all of us are just trying to live indoors. I always say to people, what are you trying to do today? Trying to live indoors. That's, that's, that's <laughs> it. Because right. I am too old and too fat to be living outside. That's all there is to it. So if I just live indoors, that's, all I, that's, all, that's my I'll main goal. Indoors. That's it. That's it. <laughs> um, you know what? I heard um, about this organization a few years ago, and mm-hmm. and I don't know why the the gentleman's name escapes me right now that I heard it from initially. Uh, you may remember. Uh, I think he lives in Alabama now. Why can't I remember his name? Uh, well, let's see. Alabama. K. Carl Smith. Uh, there you go. K. Carl Smith. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, so uh, K. Carl Smith, so he has a Frederick Douglass organization. It is not the Frederick Douglass Foundation, which is gotcha. Uh, so there's a number of Frederick Douglass uh, organizations out there, you know, which are really trying to capture uh, the legacy and the imagination and the standards that were so um, incredibly set by such an honorable man as Frederick Douglass. So you could imagine a man with such stature that there would be a number of entities uh, trying to represent him. And uh, ours just happens to be the Frederick Douglass Foundation of California. We have multiple chapters across the country, but it's the Frederick Douglass Foundation is really uh, what separates us from all of the other entities. I understand. Super duper. Now that's all cleared up. Uh, Yay, me and Clara. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Tell us. 
about because a lot of people don't really know who Frederick Douglass was and um, any of his history. So if you could give us the um, the cliff note version of who Frederick Douglass was for our audience, I would be highly appreciative. Yeah, I'd gladly do that. Um, a lot of people have heard of Douglass. Uh, people like me who have grown up in inner city schools or you know public schools of some sort. You, there's a you know a little bit that would be said about Douglas, but there's no deep dive into his uh, background and history and legacy unless you had to write a book report about it. So he is a uh, a character, historical figure that could easily get lost. But his legacy is, um, he, you know, I'd like to characterize him as the quintessential American patriot, hero, and statesman. There. There, I don't think there's been a life even marginally comparable to the life that uh, God allowed uh, uh, the Honorable Frederick Douglass to live. I mean, uh, sure, surely he went through hardship and challenges and all kinds of things, many, many pivot points in his life. But at the end of the day, um, America is America because of Frederick Douglass. And there's a, reason, a lot of reasons why I would say that. Uh, let me go into a little bit of his background and try to connect the dots as best as I can as to his impact on American history. Uh, so he was um, he was actually born uh, Frederick Augustus Bailey. Uh, he was uh, born of he was a product of rape. His his mother had been uh, raped and abused by um, uh, her her white uh, slave master, and he was a product of that. And um, I'll, I'll just say here today, uh, just a brief, brief segue. Uh, today we're, we're, we're talking about, you know, ending the life of all babies uh, uh, who are a product of rape and incest and, and even born alive. I was thinking the very same thing while you were saying that. Go right yeah, ahead. and even born alive. And here is a perfect example of what uh, could have or would have happened if we had had such barbaric ways, even back in the 1800s, uh, uh, back then. But anyway, he was a product of that and, and actually um, didn't really know his mother. He saw her a couple of times. But, you know, what happened back then is that they would quickly separate the babies from the the mothers, and they would basically sequester the all of the kids in uh, some kind of a communal-type situation. So he was actually raised by his grandmother. He believed it was his, his, his actual uh, maternal grandmother so and and she was raising all of the kids uh, you know sort of from baby through to toddler and uh so there are a number of his cousins and other kids in the community that grandma was was overseeing um and so and the, the reason why they separate him from the mother very early very quickly is so there's no maternal uh, you know, feelings and, and maternal uh, issues that arise at that. So they, they, you know, they separated them early. Anyway, he started to grow up in this uh, sort of uh, living situation with his grandmother and these other uh, children. And by the time he was, I believe it was six or seven, he was introduced to his grandmother, walked him to his first uh, slave home. And, uh, you know, she tried to best uh, prepare him as, as she could being that he was just, you know, a young kid at the time, he he couldn't quite absorb what it would mean, but it was uh, actually uh, fortuitous for him because the uh, slave family that he went to had never had a slave before. And uh and so they really just wanted a playmate for little Tommy. And uh so they had little Freddie and little Tommy. They quickly allowed the boys to just play together and become uh, close, you know, good friends. And um uh, you know, Freddie, uh, uh, over time, uh, the mother of the house started to teach the boys to read. And uh, her husband came home one day and said, what are you doing? Wait, 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 what are you doing? And she says, well, I'm teaching the boys to read. You know, little Freddie and little Tom. Oh, boy, Freddie has a, quite a quite a penchant for the alphabet, and he's really learning how to read, and he's, he's articulating well. And he says, no, 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 you can't do that. Don't do that anymore, because if, if a slave learns to read, he's no more good. And uh, I'm paraphrasing. I'm trying to, uh, you know, accelerate no, I the story. But, but, um, but essentially that was, and you know, of course, you know, well, Freddie was there and heard that, and he says, "Aha!" So the key to freedom, whether I'm in chains or or not, is to be educated. 
to learn to read, to learn to write, to learn to articulate, because that's the key to freedom, because he heard what the slave master said. And so he felt it was God's divine hand actually teaching him how to master the art of reading. Because after that, the mother of the house stopped, and, and uh, he felt like, you know, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, he'd get up and he'd go down to the study and start to open up some books. And he found his mother's Bible. He started reading that, and he really thought it was the hand of God helping him to learn, continue his craft of learning to read and articulate and pronounce words and, and you know, all of the sort. So he actually did become quite masterful as a very, very young uh, boy. And um, he wanted to help set the rest of the folks free as well. So even though they were all enslaved, um, uh, he, what he decided to do is he'd start a Sunday school um, out in the shed. And uh, so he actually, you know, he, he actually wanted to teach all the other slaves to read, but he had to do something under the auspices of something spiritual. So he says, you know, every Sunday or maybe during the week, he'd say, can I go out to the shed to just do a Bible study? And, you know, so he started to do that kind of thing and and actually began to teach a lot of the elders and older people in the community how to read as well. And so that was sort of what he did. He had the opportune time to, uh, as he began to get older, uh, to try to escape. He tried it a couple times. He at one time, he was beat within an inch of his life, um, and then uh, ultimately he did become successful and did escape. You know, I think he was uh, 19 at the time. He went up north and um, and and worked at the shipyards in, in uh, New York for a very short period of time, and they started to reclaim slaves as far north as that, and he, he, he knew that he had to get going further north, so he went up to, uh, ended up in, in the sort of New England, Boston area. And uh, he was quickly uh, adopted by a, a northern Democrat family who were abolitionists, and, uh, but they were Democrat. And, um, and they adopted him uh, in the sense that they, they heard of him. They uh, recognized that he was a very, very talented young man at that point. Took him under the, they took him under their wings and, uh, and, and started to really perfect his his writing skills and, and his oratory, <clears throat> and um, he, he stayed with them for a while. And and when they started to reclaim as far north as, as in those areas, he had the opportunity to go overseas and actually be an honored guest of, uh, of, of Europe for about two, two and a half years. So he went through Europe, Ireland, uh, some of those other areas. And, uh, again, this was after the incredible deeds done by William Wilberforce over in Europe. So the slavery was, uh, was fully abolished at that time. And uh, it's, it's amazing when you look at all of the lineages, all of the connect points where God's divine hand actually worked to lay the groundwork for uh, people like Douglas and then after for people like us to sort of stand on the shoulders of people like that who did s such an incredible instrumental work and uh, laying the foundations for us. But anyway, Wilberforce laid that for uh, people like Douglas. Douglas really took advantage of that and became an honored guest. Uh, now, you, you have to think about this. Here you have an escaped slave, 1800s, uh, black man in Europe, and literally an honored guest of, of Europe for a couple of years. That is just right there. That's, that's pretty that's, that's astounding to kind of think about that. Um, and then uh, when he came back, he actually came back with some ba with some backers who wanted to back him in his own business. So he started a publishing business, and uh, it was North Star Publishing. He published newspapers and uh, you know magazines and just different publications, and um, and actually became quite a bit more, even more well known. And uh, because of the the work and his oratory skills and his speeches and, and all of that that had really went around the world by that time, his uh, North Star Publishing did really did was catching on quite well. And it was you know it was an abolitionist newspaper. And then uh, uh, he had the opportunity to you know actually get politically involved because he realized that. If we're ever going to be free, it's got to really start somewhere uh, where the power rests, and the power and authority rests. And and so, at one uh, off chance, he had the opportunity to go to uh, the back door of the White House at the time and and ask to meet with uh, Abraham Lincoln. 
and uh, you know you can imagine you have this you know black man showing up, signing his card uh, at the back door, saying, "Yeah, I want to meet with the president." That's kind of outrageous, even back then. <laughs> and, and are you still with me? You okay? I'm still here. Okay. Do we have to take? Just let me know when you have to take a break. But no, we're good. And, we're good. Okay, good. And so he he he, he did that, and. Um, and he just said, "Can you just let the president know that Frederick Douglass is here?" And uh, and his Secret Service went and took his card to to you know President Lincoln, and Lincoln said, "You mean Frederick Douglass is here?" And he said, "Yeah, some guy, some black guy out back. You know, he looks." You know. <laughs> and and Lincoln stood from his desk. He says, "Oh, bring him in! Bring him in!" He just couldn't believe that Frederick Douglass would show up. You know, he was, and 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 so when Douglass walks in, Abraham Lincoln was already standing still, and he says, "The Honorable Frederick Douglass." And uh, Douglass did the same. You know, Honorable uh, President Lincoln, it's a pleasure to meet you. They were really kindred spirits from the start. And what's what's interesting and so and enlightening and so uh prescient about that relationship is that that was when Lincoln was working on the Emancipation Proclamation and uh he needed to refine the way that he was going to get that done. And but he 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 knew he had Congress he had to go through, he knew all this stuff and so he started to share these plans with Douglas. He says, Look, I'm trying to figure out how do we get this done, how do we do this and so he and Douglas worked on refining the Emancipation Proclamation, and at the end of the day, Douglas told him, he says, Mr. Uh, Mr. President, this is the single most important um, executive, um, what do you call it? Yeah, executive action uh, that you can take in American history. And to this day, uh, see, a lot of people don't know or hadn't realized that Emancipation Proclamation did not go through Congress. And actually, Douglas admonished him not to because he says, look, you know, we're going to have hundreds of thousands of more slaves being killed between now and the time this ultimately passes. Um, and this can't wait. We have too many people being slaughtered, being being maimed, being lynched daily, and this is, this is the time. This is the moment. So uh, Abraham, President Lincoln actually took uh, Douglas's recommendation and, and did this through um, – you know, through his his pen. He didn't have a pen and a phone back then. I don't know, whatever. They <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and to this day, it stands as the single most important uh, presidential proclamation uh, in our history. And uh, so he, he he got it done. And of course, the the fallout from that was the Civil War and all of that. Um, and Douglas uh, was instrumental in that. He helped. Um, the president stand up the black regiment uh so he did some recruiting for that he was uh he was the, the first african american uh marsh in the marsh us marshal service first african american ambassador to haiti first african american on a presidential ticket he was actually nominated for vice president on a uh, ticket back in the day he was the first African American uh, to be an executive over a bank. He was the first African American to um, um, to literally be on the, the inner circle of four U.S. presidents. Uh, because after Lincoln got uh, uh, got assassinated, then he he was still in the inner circle of, of, of three additional uh, presidents after that time. So he, his life is just. It's it's just an incredible journey um, uh, from being born into slavery, a product of rape, being beat to within an inch, inch of his life, being abused by his white slave masters for you know a long period of time, uh, really hating whites at some at some points of time, then being adopted by a white family, Northern Democrats, and then uh, then going over to Europe and was pretty much all whites over there who adopted him and treated him with kindness and love and and helped him fund his first entrepreneurial enterprise becomes an entrepreneur successful entrepreneur in today's dollars it'd be worth about 10 million dollars in today's dollars the north star publishing and um and and then fully reconciling himself to actually begin to endear himself to whites and love whites i mean he had a great relationship with president abraham lincoln they had so much respect and admiration for each other. 
it was a relationship that God had, you know, himself had divinely inspired and put in front of them. And they, 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 they wrestled with it for a moment, but they, they fully embraced it. And what came out of that is that you and I are free today, and, and so many others are free today. And uh, we get to, we get to uh, enjoy the fruits of being standing on the shoulders of great men like Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass and, and seeing an America like we see today. I mean, uh, one of the things that came up that was kind of interesting in that relationship as well is Lincoln – his first iterations of emancipation he says yeah and we're going to we're going to go ahead and we'll make you know we'll get some ships we'll make sure that we actually send you know your african brothers and sisters back to africa and 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 douglas stood up and says wait 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 no that's not happening he says we want this flag we adore this flag we want to take full to fully partake in the fruits of what the united states has we don't know anything about Africa, nor do we want to know. We are here now, and we want to, you know, because he, Douglas was well read, so he read the Constitution and read the Declaration, and he's like, "No, man, this is this is it right here. This is what we." Well, yeah, and and well, and by and by then, well, even Douglas, um, Douglas wasn't from Africa. He had no connection. That, he had really no connection That's to right. Africa. And right. by the time that he had talked to, that he had spoken to Lincoln, after he'd come back from Europe, um, there were a generation of of slaves or, or former slaves at, at that point who had no connection to Africa. So you were, it, it, it'd be like sending me back to San Francisco because you were sending me home. Well, my, my home's not in San Francisco. My home is actually in New Jersey. And please don't send me back there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. You got it exactly right. I mean, there was no connection. Uh, not only that, but where would you go in Africa? How would you even think about, you know, and he, he had read about, you know, the African nations at that time that were pretty tribal and pretty, you know, uh, comparatively speaking to sort of the, the well-manicured colonies that were rising up here in the United States in comparison. He thought, no, America has its issues, but this is the place to be. Now, just imagine if that message was actually sent to the millennials today who actually hate America think America is the pariah of the world, um, and you had slaves who endured atrocious beatings and seen their family members killed and maimed and slammed and lynched, and yet they wanted to remain American because of America's ideals. And yet we have kids today, millennials, and a lot of, you know, elderly, you know, older leftists, who people disdain who, America? People who are my age. Well, you know what? Yeah. The problem. The, I see all this. I, you know, I taught in the, in, in the public school system for fifteen point one years, and um, just the story that you told, the thumbnail sketch of of Douglas's life, was never, ever talked about in that manner. So nobody had any idea. So no one had have any idea. In the world? Oh, is that you? What me? Oh my yeah. god! Um, no idea that any of that actually happened or went on. Nobody, and, and especially in black schools or black neighborhoods, where black where black little kids, and especially growing up even my during my time, needed black heroes yes. who participated in the founding and the fathering of this nation. Yes. All we've and 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 what what unfortunately what people my age and and younger learned that Roots was a document. They thought Roots was a documentary. Wow. Wow. Well, I, I mean, if you talk if you talk to if you talk to to the millennials now and you talk to people who are my age and and you talk about slavery, they always their picture is Kunta Kinte. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And they think that it was a documentary that that all the things that happened there. There's no, there's never any context, and there's never any. I mean, except for the, the, um, the one scene where there were there were some murders, but there was never any anything other than what was going on in that narrative, which we found That's out right. later that was most of it was most of it was fictional. Uh, yeah. It was it was a, it was seven it was a seven day TV show. Um, yeah. So why? Is and even now, why not talk about 
Douglas. Why don't you think people are t- now? Now I I think I know the answer, but why aren't people talking about Douglas and embracing Douglas, especially in black communities, especially there in places like Chicago, especially in East St. Louis, especially in Compton, especially in Atlanta, especially in those in Harlem. Those well, Harlem most got white folks now, don't they? Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, exactly right. in, those, in those places where young kids need to see those heroes. They don't need to see Cardi B as a hero right. or Jay-Z as a hero. Right. They need to see right. real heroes who did amazing things under incredible circumstances. And in, in incredible circumstances. And if you look back historically, they had issues with racism, slavery, and all of that. But they would not let those issues prevent them from being all God created them to be. They pursued with all zeal greatness. And when I say they, I mean you got Harriet Tubman, who was great in her own right, doing what she was doing and setting the slaves free, who was also a compatriot of of, um, Frederick Douglass. Then you had... Uh, other great women who, who worked side by side on the women's suffrage issue, they weren't black, but they were instrumental in, in setting women free, and that was Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who were also compatriots and contemporaries of Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass worked with them hand in hand. So all of these civil rights movements, uh, setting slaves free, setting women free, setting blacks free, all pivoted around one man who God raised up at that time. His name was Frederick Douglass. And while he knew that he had to fight the, 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 the racism and hatred and vile tactics of the KKK, the Democrat KKK, and everything they wanted to do to him and anyone else who was black, um, he did not use that as a vice, as a, uh, you know, as a uh, a victimization card, uh, as a way of staying complacent, as a way of accepting, hey, well, you know, uh, these these white racist folks, uh, slave owners got all of the power and the money, so I can't do anything, so therefore I'm just going to stay here and and just let the, uh, let it slip away. No, no, he, he went for it all. And he went for it all, not with just his personal family in mind, but with us in mind, generations away. What would the net impact be? And he could, he could never have imagined no. that he would have set America free on its path, that, you know, a path of greatness. Um, and, and that he and Lincoln, had, with what they did with emancipation and then subsequent civil rights movements that he spawned, yes, we had great civil rights leaders like uh, Dr. Martin Luther King and, and others. But the civil, everything started with Frederick Douglass. Everything started with Douglass. There would have been nothing so, had, there, had there not been the um, Emancipation Proclamation and done the way that um, Douglass suggested. There would have been nothing. There would have been nothing. And then, so, you know, and then you look at Douglass, you look at Booker T. Washington, these two great, honorable, entrepreneurial um, you know, flag-waving, flag-loving American heroes and patriots are purposely ignored, in my opinion, because they were well-known Republicans, number one. Number two, they, they actually were entrepreneurial and very successful. Um, and number three, they never complained about being a victim and not being able to achieve because, you know, the white man's got all the money and the power. This is yeah. – so their narrative, their entire legacy is completely different than what the millennials and the professors want to hear and preach about today. And so that's why the inconvenient truth about the legacy of these great men and women in the 1800s, it's, it's being whitewashed. whitewashed. It's being revisioned great, out of, uh, of relevancy. What a great choice of words, my friend. It is being whitewashed. And it is a shame. So to that... Um, tell me what Frederick, Frederick Douglass Foundation is all about and how is it moving forward in uh, removing the whitewash and, and getting the message of Douglass to places where it needs to be. 
So the Frederick Douglass Foundation is a 501c4. It is a political-minded uh, organization. And what we're hoping to do is to you know, really uh, help sensitize people to Douglass and his legacy and what he had done and how important he's been uh, to our faith. You know, he was also an ordained minister um, to, uh, you know, as a, as a statesman, as a patriot, and all. And um, it's easier for us to talk about, you know, tough issues like abortion. You know, Douglas was completely anti-abortion. He was all in with, um, like I said, the women's suffrage movement, and they were anti-abortion. And abortions were happening back then, so, you know, but he was completely against it. He, he believed in life. He, he recognized that, look, if you had uh, taking stances like, you know, rape and incest and 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 just started, you know, let's just abort all of the slave children because they're inconvenient because they've a lot of them had been fostered by the slave masters at the time. Um, then he realized he wouldn't be here, and yep. so he saw the injustice in that. He says, we, we, "How are we going to proclaim to be a just society when we're just going to make uh, you know these arbitrary you know assessments and start wiping off you know wiping out people?" So anyway. So we can go into, and so what we're doing is we're trying to engage the urban communities, mostly urban churches, uh, black and brown churches, and work with pastors. And and in the context and under the auspices of Frederick Douglass, bring up these relevant issues. Because it's easier to point to a great, great man who's lived it out than for us to say, well, in our opinion, you know, we think that you should be voting this way and that way. And so we, we, try, to, um, we try to sensitize them to accurate history. Um, how important it was uh, uh, at that time for Douglas to have done what he's done, and how it, you know, actually helped uh, alight the, the churches and, and the various ministries, and uh, uh, and how we should, you know, as opposed to uh, just go in with the secular humanist uh, side of things when we go to the ballot box. Maybe we should have a pause. Maybe we should think about. Uh, first of all, the Word of God and, and what our responsibility is to it, but we can think about other people in history uh, and, and, and their examples uh, before we start to continue to just kind of by rote and by reflex uh, pull for, you know, a particular party. That's very that's very true because because what we found out is that when you start when you when you start with pick, picking a particular party. Um, especially if it's not Democrat, what you have, what happens in the urban community is that you get immediate shutdown. Immediate. Yep. Immediate. Um, yep. So, when so we go in and we talk about, about Douglas, the shifts and the pivots and all of that. We talk about, you know, why would Douglas make such a statement like I'm a, I'm a black died in the wool Republican because it's the only party of freedom and progress. What was happening at that time? Why would he say such a thing? What, what was his life story before then? How did he arrive at that point? We start to unpack that. We start to make you know relevant conclusions to today and what we're facing, what we're seeing, and we you know so we try to engage them and challenge them. And and at the end of the day, what we love to do is to just get the black community to start holding themselves and all of our elected officials accountable. And the only way we're going to hold. Um, you know, especially the leftist Democrats, accountable to our community, since we're 97 percent of their their much needed voting block. The only way we're going to hold them accountable is to start voting differently and say, no, you're not. I'm not going to be a a voting block that you can just count on every time you show up, or every few years, or every four years, and you just count on me. And just know that I want to, you know, I want to take my eyes off the ball and just let you do what you do, and then you come back, and we still have, we're still in the same place. We've been doing that for too many generations now, and we, as a black community, have got to be better. And the only way for us to be better, or one of the most meaningful ways for us to be better at that, <clears throat> is to truly vote for people who align with our values and our principles, who, who align with the Word of God. Uh, I challenge even any word of faith, uh, I challenge any religious person, in air quotes, to come up with any of their religious documents that would wholeheartedly approve of infanticide. 
I'm astounded that the leftist Democrats would get a single vote, especially from any people of faith. Are you kidding me? It's it is absolutely amazing. Um, tomorrow, I've got a gentleman on. Um, he is he is out of Philadelphia, and, I'm, and I met him on Instagram. Strangely enough, um, that is he called Planned Parenthood clanned Parenthood. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, because the, the, the idea is, especially, I don't understand in especially in African American community how hard it is. To simply look at the the truth and the history of Planned Parenthood and Margaret Sanger and the like, and embrace anybody who promotes it. That's right. At all? How That's is right. it even possible? It, How it, it's amazing. The it only way it's possible, uh, Willie, and you you and I know this. The only way it's possible is we hear from Mom and them, Grandma and them, Auntie and them, everybody and them, who say, uh, "Just go and register and just vote Democrat." And so we just think that, oh, okay, that's I'm black, I'm supposed to. So we've been sort of, you know, it's been handed down, it's been indoctrinated, and it's kind of been embraced. And, and all we're doing is we're trying to say, hey, uh, why don't we start thinking independently now? We, you know, the times have changed. These parties uh, have changed considerably. The JFK, JFK Democrats of old are really – they're all dead. They're uh, all you know, dead. you're moderate or more conservative Republicans today. I mean, yeah, uh, so, yeah, I mean, and, and so since the parties have changed so much, doesn't that require that we take a, step, take a step back and start to do some level of introspection and take a look at things and say, you know what? I don't think I'm going to do it. Mama and them, grandma and them, auntie and them, everybody and them do. Uh, I'm going to do something different because this is what's important for me based on my faith, based on who I am, based on my community, and I want to see some different actions take place. That's what you do. And, and I'm telling you that, um, and I don't want to turn this into um, anything about, you know, the, I mean, the orange plague. Uh, <laughs> I do, I do. <laughs> right. But, my, but I've, real quick, there is a, um, a county in north central Florida, Jefferson County, it's about as big as my living room. It's, hmm. it's, it's, it's pretty much all black and pretty much all – and, and Democrats have led the way there for years and years and years until 2016 where – I mean it, it, gone for ev- it, it had gone against – it had gone for every Democrat president for, oh, and I'm saying easily 40 years. Yep. Jefferson County went for Trump. Wow. And here's what I think happened. Exactly what you're saying. I think some younger people got into the polls and, and saw the choices and went, hmm, saw how they've been living, saw, saw things mm-hmm. that had been going on in the country. There had been eight years of President Obama still, and, and they looked mm-hmm. at their lives and looked at their friends and looked at their situation and went, hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. maybe it's time to do something different. Screw it, Trump. And, yep. and, and you I, from where I live, you could hear Democrats in Jefferson County wailing. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Because they had, they never ever expected, though, in that little bitty county, for those those black folks or some and mostly young black folks and mostly young black men to say, "Wait a minute." Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Are we assessing all of this, and I think that that's what we have to get to. We can get to the point, Kevin, where we can just get people. And through organizations like Federal Justice Foundation to just start doing introspection and reassessing what we've done for the past, you know, as communities for the past 50 years and, mm-hmm. and think, well, you know, maybe we should think about this differently. Mm-hmm. And that's all mm-hmm. I ever hope to do. I want yep. you to, you know what, I tell my Republican friends here, it's like, you know what, you can't deputize me and send me into the hood to recruit because I ain't doing that. Right. I'm just right. not doing that. That's right. What I will well, do and this is why I applaud, and you know, and, and she always takes a lot of heat from people that you and I know, and and black conservatives uh, who have uh, you know been in the fight for a while. But this is why I applaud Candace Owens, right? Who starts Blexit. Um, it's a start, and it's really, you know, a, a movement that could really start with that millennial segment, uh, mm-hmm. uh, millennial blacks. 
And and see, the millennial blacks, I really do think, is a ripe harvest. And here's why I think so. They don't have the baggage of the civil rights era that nope. our parents did and our parents and grandparents. And so, you know, the older seasoned folk, let's just call them seasoned folk, um, <laughs> they seen and heard and, and, and they, a lot that maybe you and I just can't even fathom. And and the racial tensions go way deep with them because they, they lived in, in a time and in a season where it was in your face. And so for them, all you got to do is, is it's you know, it's like Pavlov's dogs, right? You just say the word, and they have a particular reaction. And this is what it's the Democrats visceral have been doing. It's visceral for some of them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And this is what the Democrat Party has been doing for decades, right? It's just every two to four, two and four years, they're saying a word, racist, and boom, the reaction is automatic. Oh, I ain't voting for him. I'm going for this one. Uh, racist, you know, in, in, in the con- context of uh, uh, of the Republican Party, and therefore it's been in, ingrained that I could never vote Republican because that, that is the party of racists, right? So, But the millennials hadn't. They don't have any firsthand accounts of any of that stuff. It's it's the, you know, they hear a little bit here and there, and if they go to you know higher education, their professors try to, you know, re-indoctrinate them and ingrain them. But those who are working class millennials are really, in my opinion, uh, the ripe harvest that are they're they're more. They're less indoctrinated and more reasonable in their thinking, and because and they're actually rebellious in, in, in many ways, and they don't want to necessarily do it. Mom and them, grandma and them, and everybody and them mm-hmm. told them to do. So they'll 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 take a pause and say, you know what, I'm going to vote wherever I want to vote, and if I think that it's this person or that person because I'm I'm vibing with them right now, then guess what? I'm just going to do that, Mama. That's it. You know you know what I'm saying? So. Um, uh, you know, I, I think there is opportunity there. I think we need movements like Blexit and Lexit and Jexit and all of the other it's to 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 work those segments because come 2020 we're going to need all hands on deck to really uh, pull President Trump through the finish line. It's going to be a it's going to be a fight. I think um, you're absolutely right. E- even with the Democrats as as crazy as they are and demonic as they are. Um, it, it, it's still, it's going to be a dogfight, you know, so. Well, yeah, you know what, and I, and, I, and, I, and I think you're right. And I've said, and especially to some of the people that, you know, that both of us know, I've said that everybody, everybody in this has a, an office, a space. And I've sort of likened it to the fivefold ministry. Everybody's mm-hmm. got a place in the body. And mm-hmm. some people are better at some things than they are at others. You know, when I was in California, when was when was I in California? I don't know. I don't, it, that was months. October, I think it was. October. Okay. Okay. Thanks for thanks for remembering, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Although we did share an Uber ride together, but I don't remember when the heck it was. Um, mm-hmm. We, um, the group I was with, uh, you know, at um, Urban Game Changers, we did two events. We did Politicon, and we did um, what's that that street event down there, and in, in, you know, in South Central. Over by LA the live uh, or something like that. Yeah, yeah whatever. Um, yeah. Where the Nation of Islam served for security as security that kind of blew me away. But okay. Um, in any case, there were certain people in our organization who were really good, sort of at the street evangelism level. You know, stopping mm-hmm. people on the street and asking them questions and even getting into back and forth. But they weren't as good at Politicon, which it was a completely, totally different vibe. So there's places for all of us. There are places. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's people to do street evangelism. There are there are places for people to to do commentary. Uh, there are people. Mm-hmm. There are places for people to do research, teaching, all sorts of things. So mm-hmm. you know, when I, you know, when I try to tell people that, yeah, okay, so you, all right, so yes, maybe um, people like Ken and so on is 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 a new pretty black girl, maybe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and because, frankly, at one point, people thought Sonny Johnson was a new pretty black girl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying? So, um, mm-hmm. there's, there, but everybody can is going to be able to talk to different people. And I think you're, you think you're right. That's right. I think I, right. I think Candace talks to a whole group of people that, uh, as, as an old gray hair, that I'm never going to be able to, to, to connect with. Never. Exactly right. That's the, that's the point. Yep. 
Yeah. So and you're right. You know, liking it sure to the fivefold ministries, I think that's a good paradox. We all have a part to play, and mm-hmm. none of us, none of us, have the full skill set to do everything and do it everything and do everything well. There are some that are raised up to do a very specific thing within our segment and make a huge change. And why can't we? Even if we don't understand it, we don't quite vibe with them. We don't. We don't get it. But if they're having a positive impact and people are Cheer being changed and they're they're being challenged, let's support them. I mean, you know, why not? You know, we're we're in a real spiritual battle here. It's very very real. The consequences are real and devastating. So for us to say, well, I don't like this person and I don't like their style and I don't like how they do it, are you kidding me? We got we don't souls have, at stake here. Are we you don't kidding? have a, we we just don't have the luxury. Of being picky that way, we just don't have a luck train anymore. Things yeah, are, we, don't. we are, it's we are in, serious. we are, in, we are truly in, 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 in desperate times. Um, when you see governors of states, uh, 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 of U.S. states, sitting there on, on, on radio programs saying that, well, what happens if the baby is born? We'll make the baby yeah. comfortable, even resuscitate the baby, um, yeah. and then the doctor and the mother will decide what to do next. What do you mean they'll decide what to do next? Right. There's a baby right. there. There's right. no other decisions to make about the baby other than maybe if the mom wants to give the child up for adoption. That's yes. the only decision that can be made. There's no decision That's about exactly the child right. at that point. But right. no, we, we are we are past that. We're in in some. We're going to throw the child into a volcano as a sacrifice. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is exactly right. Exactly. That's where we are. So we don't have the luxury of looking for somebody or or an individual that you know that fits exactly how we feel about how we say stuff and who we say it to. Mm-hmm, we just don't mm-hmm. have that luxury anymore. So we've got to be more. And I think that especially black and brown conservatives have to be a lot more open to um, who's ever who's ever talking to whomever. If you can, yeah. if you can reach them, go reach them, please. Thank yeah. you. Because yes. you know what, I'm I'm an old gray hair. Not the, I'm the same people aren't listening to me, and that's okay. I, that's right. That's right. I don't hurt that's my right. feelings, but that's you know right. what, I'm glad there are other other people who are out there doing that. So you know, and I think that moving forward, I, I think if the Frederick Douglass message is a message that is uh, can be the glue for a lot of people, that may be the glue to bring back some of the gray hairs like me, who mm-hmm. are looking. For reasons they they see, but they're looking for reasons. They're looking for uh, a historical basis for making some changes, and mm-hmm. they may be more open to the Frederick Douglass message than maybe someone younger, possibly. So that's yeah. what I th- you know that's why I think the Frederick Douglass Foundation, the Frederick Douglass message is so very important. And when I found out that you were in that you were involved, that you are the are you are, are you the state chair? Are you the Grand Poobah out there. In, in, <laughs> I'm, I'm the chairman of the uh, yeah of the, of the California chapter. Uh, we have a, a, a fantastic president, Rochelle uh, Connor, and our founder is Walter Hoy. So I'm in verified air oh, with some really? in, in tremendous individuals. Really? Yeah. Yes. So he's the founder. Uh, I'm the chairman, and uh, Rochelle is the president, and and we're just we're just in here fighting the fight, man, trying to. Trying to make sure that we do our part to see if if we can you know, be used in a in an incredible way, way to help uh, bring a change. I mean, you know, California is in is in desperate situations uh, spiritually, uh, desperate. Uh, uh, yeah, we're just in dire straits, basically. Yeah, um, I mean, and, and there's, um, there's a poop and, app. You know, there's a poop app for San Francisco, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> And now here's here's the other thing that really astounds me. Come on. Here's the other thing that astounds me is we have so many people that are saying, No, 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 no. Let the let all people from all over the world just come over and come over and then here's the thing. Here's the real uh gut wrenching thing about those types of statements is we have American citizens living on the streets. In Los Angeles, thirty-five thousand yeah. plus, and San Francisco, twenty thousand plus, wow. and they don't have a place to stay. These people that come in from these other countries and nations in South America, they get vouchers, they get room and board, they get, and so literally, and they get medical okay. services. 
And so literally we're taking good, hard-earned money that have come from the taxpayers of – and I'll speak for California – and California, and instead of appropriating it to help our homeless citizens who may need all kinds of additional services, we say, oh, no, screw them. They're not a vote. Uh, these other folks, they're motivated. They're a vote. We're going to spend the money on them and let them come in here. Are you kidding yep. me? Now, is this this is evil. When you really That's think about this – it's, it, it's heartbreaking, but it's you know the, the the level of debased humanity, the 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 ice water running through your veins to make such a horrible um, value judgment based upon the people here and the people coming. It, it, it's just it's it's evil, man. I mean, you know, I mean, what do you say about that? And so, what President Trump is just trying to do first of all he's trying to protect the people who would put them lives their lives and their bodies at risk trying to just get here i mean we understand the motivation there's a lot of inducement to come here but the the horrible trek these young women and girls who are being raped multiple times during the trek and at high percentages up to 70% by some estimate is in itself a human atrocity. It, 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 it's a human rights travesty that's happening with these people. And then when they get here, the travesty that we then put on our American citizens, we basically kick them to the curb and say, no, we're going we're gonna to cater to these people now. It's just all around. It's just messed up. It is messed up. And so up. we it have is. a president now that says, look, I'm going to – Bring some sanity to this. Uh, we gotta, we gotta do this right. We gotta take care of our own citizens, and then we gotta have a way to kind of figure out who's coming in. We got people from Congo and and the Himalayas and and Bermuda, you know, Bermuda and and all kinds of you know, people from all no, over the world. You know, we don't know what their me. motivations are. No. We have no idea who they are. It's one of those things for me. Is and I because I'm I'm a very simple person. All you guys are really smart and have high IQs. Uh, I, I am aggressively average. I, so I have to think about things a little differently. We are in a position where we're in an airplane. The, the cabin has lost pressure. Yep. The masks have dropped. And now we're trying to shove the mask on the children. Because mm. the idea, there's no, because in that situation, you have to put it on your fr- yourself first before you can mm-hmm. help anybody. Mm-hmm, and if we don't mm-hmm. do that as a nation, if we don't decide we have to help ourselves first before we can be in condition to, to do what Americans have traditionally done. Yeah, it's a great analogy. I like that. We will oh. not be able to continue any yeah. of those works ever because we won't be able to take care of ourselves. And we're already getting there when you have – that blew me away that I asked. There were 35,000, by estimate, homeless people in Los Angeles. Everywhere yeah. I went, I, we were at the 1010. I tell you all that. I was on Wilshire Boulevard, famous Wilshire Boulevard, at the 1010 mm-hmm. on the, in the business district. And I looked out the window and saw a tent city. How is this possible? Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's and just, no one it's just seems horrible. to care. Yeah. And now we're bringing over, you know, the bubonic plague, Ebola. Are you kidding me? Ebola's back. The bubonic plague oh. is back. Typhoid is back. Typhus is back in L.A. Um, yes. Yeah, we're gonna need a big fence. These are these <laughs> are these are uh, these are illnesses that were cured during the dark ages. I mean, are you kidding me? And they're back. And measles is 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 becoming epidemic again. And these are incredible. You know, we we used to have measles, chickenpox, and all that stuff when I was growing up. But man, for the past couple of several decades i hadn't heard anybody with those types of things right nope not at they're all they're back in vogue i mean we're fighting the fight now we <laughs> it's like are it's you crazy. kidding me this all is right, crazy we have, to, we have to we have to we have to have another conversation sooner than later because there's a there's gonna be i have a feeling from between now and november of next year there's gonna be a bunch to talk about i just got that yeah. feeling i don't know all right so we, gotta, we need to get out of here thanks thank you ever so much for coming by and, 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 and having a good time with me. I've had a great time. You've taught us a lot about Frederick Douglass, and we're going to learn a lot more about Frederick Douglass and the Frederick Douglass Foundation moving forward. Um, and um, we, have to, we have to reconnect again. So thank you ever so much. And, it was my um, pleasure. Thank you for having me. 
really if you're in florida if you're in florida or or on the east coast let me know and then we can hook up and then you can buy me lunch uh (laughs) absolutely looking for i'm looking forward to that all right well thank you ever so much we need to get out of here and make room for somebody else so until we see you again y'all go out y'all go out there and somebody or something and for goodness sakes y'all take care of yourself we will see you when we see you bye-bye now god bless you we'll see you bye-bye